Well, the countdown to Christmas is truly on, 21 days to go. I know for many of us, and indeed many in our culture, the Christmas season promises to be, as the song says, the most wonderful time of the year, uh, the most joyful time of the year as well. I don't know if you've got your decorations up. I, I don't know if you're looking forward to enjoying time off work, spending precious time with family, enjoying good food, binging on your favorite Christmas films, and depending on what happens on the 18th of December, and if you don't know, that's the day of the World Cup final, our Christmas gift might come earlier than expected when we see Senegal lift that trophy. Only joking. <laughs> Christmas promises to be the most wonderful and joyful time of the year. And I, I mention that because if you lived in the first century and you were a Jew, the most wonderful and the most joyful time of the year was the Feast of Booths. It was the, the, the most joyful celebration out of the three main uh, Jewish feasts. It was the date in the calendar that all Jews got very excited about. The Jewish rabbis used to say, if you, you've never truly rejoiced until you've experienced the joy of the feast. In fact, so, so great was the Feast of Booths that it was just known as the feast. And it was a time of celebration. People would come, they would feast together, they would worship together, they would offer up their sacrifices to the Lord, they would enjoy lots of different traditions and ceremonies, all of which would remind them of God's goodness to his people in the past, speak to them of God's goodness to them in the present because it was harvest time, and it would stir in them anticipation and longing for when God would come and make his dwelling again with man. The Feast of the Booths, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, why did I make mention of that? Well, because when Jesus said these words that we've just read from John chapter 7, it was on the most climactic day of the Feast of the Booths. If you like, it was the, the Christmas day, the day that everyone was longing for, waiting for. And Jesus says these words, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, my plan for us this morning is very simple. What I want us to do is I want us to see how Jesus's presence and Jesus's words at the Feast of the Booths reveals how he fulfilled it. All of the ceremonies, all of the traditions, all of that feast pointed to found its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do is we're going to see how John sets the scene for us in the first half of verse 37. Then we're going to just for a few moments remind ourselves of some of the historical aspects to this great feast. And then we're just going to unpack the meaning of this glorious invitation and the promise that is attached with it. So look at verse 37. Look at how John sets the scene for us. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up. Now, John here is, is informing us that Jesus issued this invitation at a hugely significant moment in the festivities. It was on the last day, the great day. As I said, the day that everyone had been longing for, counting down to, the day that everyone would surely be present because this was the day, if you were going to experience joy, it would be the last day, the great day. Now, we know from John saying that, 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 that Jesus' words were then said at a significant moment in the occasion, 
But also John says in verse 37 that Jesus stood up and he cried out. Now, you might not know this, but there's only two occasions in the Gospels where Jesus ever raised his voice and cried out and shouted loud. One's on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the other time is here. In fact, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 42 that said the Messiah would never cry out in the streets. And so that makes this moment all the more striking because here is Jesus and he's crying out in the temple. He's passionately pleading with the people, telling them that what they needed, that what they were searching for, that what they were celebrating was right there in front of them. He was informing them that the festival that they'd celebrated for thousands of years was being fulfilled right before their eyes. Here was their God. Here was their Messiah. Here he was in the temple as the true temple tabernacling with them. So that's how John sets the scene up for us. That's the biblical context, if you like. But just to shed light on this event. Let's just take a few moments, right, and think about the historical context. Now, you know how at Christmas, we've got loads of different traditions, and depending from where you're from, you'll have your own traditions, and, uh, you know, put your trees up, decorate your home in certain ways. I don't know what you have for Christmas dinner. Some people, you know, they're really fussy about what they have, turkey, others not. Stockings, you name it. We've all got our different traditions and ceremonies. So too did the the Feast of Booths. There was one thing that had been clearly commanded by God in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 23, that everyone had to do. Uh, The Feast of the Booths was the great camping holiday, if you like, of the Jews. (laughs) Because God commanded in Leviticus chapter 23, every Jew that went up to Jerusalem had to erect and construct a tent, a makeshift booth from palms. And they were to sleep in it for seven nights. The reason? They were remembering what their forefathers did following the exodus from Egypt. For 40 years, they lived in makeshift tents as they wandered around the wilderness. God was saying to them, I want you to remember that it was me who led you out of Egypt. It was me who provided for you. It was me who protected you. It was me who's brought you to the promised land. Now where you can enjoy settled habitation. And just remember, you know, when the the people of God lived in the tents, God dwelt in the midst of them. At the very heart of the camp would be God in the tabernacle in the tent of meeting. And so, as the people erected their tents, as they made them with the pan branches, as they lived in them for the seven nights, they they were looking backwards, but they were also looking forwards to the day that the Messiah would come and dwell with his people. But one of the ceremonies and traditions that had developed around the, the, the Feast of the Booths that you can't read about in Scripture, that you can only read about outside of the Bible, is the water ceremony. So, remember, in, in, in the wilderness, God provided for his people by giving them manna from heaven and water from the rock. 
When they were thirsty, God quenched their thirst. So what would happen over the seven days of the festival is every morning the priest, he would walk down from the temple and he would have all the pilgrims falling behind them, making a procession, and they would journey down to the Pool of Siloam. Now, the Pool of Siloam was a, was a spring, so it was living water, as it were, running water. And he would take this golden pitcher and he would put it in the water. And as he, he did that, all of the people who were with him would start sh- chanting Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, which we read as our call to worship, with joy we draw water at the wells of salvation. And then they would make this procession back up to the temple, and as they were doing so, they would be singing the Halal Psalms, Psalms 113 through 118. And then they would get into the temple, and the priest would take the water in the golden pitcher, and he would pour it all around the base of the altar of sacrifice. And this tradition had two purposes. It was causing the people to remember, forcing the people to remember, God provided them water in the desert. But the second thing it was pointing them to was all of the Old Testament prophecies that said, God will pour out his spirit in the last days like water on a parched land. And so as they had this tradition, you can imagine the excitement. In fact, it was at this moment that all the Jewish rabbis used to say, this was the moment of great joy and celebration. Now, the reason that is so significant is because most, not all, but many biblical scholars speculate that it was on the last day, just as that had happened, that Jesus cried out in a loud voice, if anyone thirsts, come to me. And drink. In other words, Jesus chose that moment to reveal that he was the fulfillment of this feast. So just as all the people were thankful for the the water that God had provided their forefathers in the past, here's Jesus saying, listen, I am the living water. I am the one, the fountain of life, the fountain of the living waters. Come to me and drink and live. So we've looked at how John sets up this invitation. We've looked at some of the historical background to the Feast of the Booths. Let's now look at this great invitation. Look at it again, verse 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, honestly, it's really hard for us to just enter into this last day of the great day of the feast and imagine Jesus saying these words. He cried out. These words would have reverberated, as it were, in all of the pilgrims' minds and ears. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, as we've been working through John's gospel, has it struck you, right, that Jesus continually uses water, physical thirst as well, to point to our deeper spiritual thirst? This isn't the first time we've looked at this theme, the, the, the woman at the well. And then we touched on it, upon it again in, in John chapter 6. Now, now Jesus, what Jesus does here is brilliant. He understands that all of us as human beings, whether we're aware of it or not, are, are thirsty. 
He understood that everyone who was listening on to him that day, that their deepest issue was that their souls were thirsty. And do you, do you know why your soul is thirsty, why my soul is thirsty? It's because of what happened in the garden with our first parents. You see, their sin in paradise has left all of us thirsty. You see, they enjoyed perfect relationship, perfect communion and union with God, and then they lost it. And every human being knows deep down inside of themselves, we were made for more than what we experience in all of this world. We were made for relationship with God. We all long to have our inner thirst quenched. That is, we long to have our deepest desires satisfied. Deep down, this is true of everyone here. Whether you, you want to admit it, you are longing for more in life. Now, one of the ways this shows up in our lives is that we go to every well, every fountain, every cistern of the world thinking it will satisfy us. And we go through this experience, and sometimes we're not even aware of it, but we drink, and we drink, and we drink, and it doesn't satisfy us. All, all that happens is we become even more thirstier. It never gives us what we want. So some of us will chase after it at the wells of sex. Some of us will chase after it at the fountain of money. Some of us will chase after it at the system of power. Anything that could just be a counterfeit to the authentic fulfillment that Jesus Christ, the fountain of living water, offers us. Now, what I want to do as we look at this amazing invitation is I, I want to just take the three verbs and unpack each one. If anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. So let's go with thirsts. If anyone thirsts. Notice how Jesus frames this amazing invitation. If anyone thirsts, it's the most open-ended invitation he could give. Notice he doesn't qualify it. If any of you are hungry and thirsty after God, come to me. He doesn't say, if any of you have lived a good life, a godly life, come to me. No, he just says, if anyone thirsts, come. If any of you are willing to admit the truth about yourself, you're longing for more, then come to Jesus. Now, living in London, where there is so much to enjoy, there are so many wells, there are so many fountains, there are so many cisterns. One of the things we don't like admitting to ourselves is that the wells here don't satisfy. You know, one of the, the, the ways the fall is that damaged us as sinners is that it, it led to us not just being deceived, but deceiving ourselves. Convincing ourselves that, that we can find what our souls are truly longing for. So many people, and, and they'll say things like this, you know, I am satisfied in life. Or, or I will be satisfied in life just when I get a job promotion. Or I will be satisfied in life when I get 
and the, the relationship that I've dreamed of. I will be satisfied in life when, when I just get this. All the while believing that that thing in of itself can satisfy us. And the reality is, a relationship won't satisfy you. Job promotions won't satisfy you. Possessions won't satisfy you. The only one who can satisfy you is the Lord Jesus. It was put so well by the prophet Jeremiah. My people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And number two, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You know what I I love about Jesus' invitation here is that he doesn't qualify it. He doesn't qualify it because he's saying, listen, let, let, me, let, me, let me point to you, you your real need, your, your greatest problem is that you are thirsty. You know it. Then come to me. You know, if, you, if you've been looking to satisfy your thirst in all the wrong places and all the wrong people and you know it, then Jesus says, come. Come to him. And the second thing that Jesus says here is, 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 is come, first, come. Now, by seeing it at this moment in the feast, as I've said, it was a climactic moment. It's Jesus showing that he is the provision of the people. It's really interesting that, you know, when Moses struck the, walk, the, the rock at Meribah, and the waters came out, Paul, the apostle, picks up on that in Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, and he says that Christ was the rock. Christ was the one who gave them water to satisfy their thirst. And here Christ is saying, I am the rock that will satisfy your, not just your physical thirst, but your spiritual thirst. So come to me. Now, do you know why this invitation is so glorious? It's because ever since the fall, we've been running from God, hiding from him. Because at the fall, all of humanity became aware of our true standing before God. We, are na- we, 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 we realized we're naked and we realized that we were guilty. And when he felt shame, they, they, they tried to put fig leaves together. They hid behind the bushes. And here Jesus says, come. You don't need to run. You need to come to me. And our, our, our problem is we try and fix ourselves. We try and satisfy ourselves. We try and cover up ourselves. And yet the invitation is, you can, but you can come and find what your soul is truly longing for. Now the thing that's so incredible about Jesus and his invitation is that he's the one who's full of grace and truth. He's the one who's full of what we're looking for. We need a love that we don't deserve. And we need someone who's going to be truthful to us. Speak the truth in love and Jesus says, come, it's me. Now, if you're going to come to Jesus, this is what it means, is that you need to turn your back. You need to forsake the systems that you've been drinking from, the fountains and the wells. You need to abandon self and self-sufficiency and you need to come to him. You might say, but how do I come to him? Well, the same way, if Jesus was here present physically, you would come up to him, you would walk, come in your heart and mind to him. 
Come and say to him, Jesus, give me the living waters that would satisfy my soul. You know, just as you do life in London, one of the things I think is interesting about people, and it would be one of the greatest tragedies is, it's so easy because, you know, many of us are just here, we're away from our families, we're away from our homes, we're away from our friends. It's so easy that when we present ourselves to other people, it's actually a posture. You know, it's a mask. It's not who we truly are. It can happen so many different things. And, um, and, and do you know why we do that? It's because our greatest fear is we do not want to be truly known. Our greatest fear in life is we, we don't want to be known for who we truly are. Our greatest longing in life is we want to be loved, we want to be accepted, We want to be known, but we know if we were known, we would be rejected. We wouldn't be accepted. And so we put on all these masks. And so one of the great tragedies you can have is you can have people living their lives, going through the whole of their lives, and they're never loved, and they're never accepted for who they truly are. It's all false. It's just pretense. It's just a version of myself. And you know, here's Jesus, and this is what he says, come to me. And here's the difference about Jesus. Jesus knows who you truly are. You see, see on the cross, his outstretched arms, his invitation to to come to him, he's there because he knows the mess you've made. He knows the secrets in your closets. He knows your brokenness, your woundedness. He knows your depravity, your sinfulness. He knows every single thing about you. And here's the incredible thing. He loves you, willing to accept you. Come to him and he will in no way cast you away. This invitation is incredible. Come to me and find what you are truly looking for. To be known for who you are, loved and accepted. But as we're going to see in a moment, the promise is you will not be left as you are. Because his purpose is to come into our lives and change us and to make us more like he is. And let me just remind you, the only qualification to come to Jesus is to come as someone who's willing to admit that you are thirsty, that you're spiritually bankrupt, that you need him. And the other qualification is to see that he has what you are truly looking for. He is the rock from who the waters will flow. The final verb in this great invitation is the word drink. And we've looked at this like before, haven't we? Just in chapter 6, when Jesus says, you know, drink my blood and eat my flesh. Jesus does the same thing over and over again in John's gospel. He, he uses this metaphor of eating and drinking to say, this is what faith is like. You take that which is external to you, and if you want to internalize it, you've got to drink it. You've got to receive it into yourself. I'm the fountain of living waters. If you want to have me, by faith, you've got to appropriate me. You've got to believe in me. You've got to trust in me. It's what he said to the woman at the well. Drink, and you'll never thirst. 
John chapter 6, you must eat and drink of me, my life and my death. At the end of this, after the sermon, we're going to sing one of the great old hymns by Horatius Bonar. I heard the voice of Jesus say, behold, I freely give the living water, the thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him. One of the most beautiful things about Jesus is he uses drinking as a metaphor for believing. You want to know how to believe? Drink. That is, receive Jesus into your life. So here's what this great invitation says. Admit who you are, you're thirsty. Be honest with who you are. You know there's something more to life than you've presently found, and it's him. We're longing for what was lost in Eden. Come to him who will tell you the truth about who you are. He'll accept you and he'll love you and he knows you better than you know yourself. But he will not leave you as you are as you drink of him. He changes you. He transforms you. If If you're not a Christian here this morning, here's a call. Come to Jesus. Come today. Come right now. If you are a Christian, the invitation is the exact same. Come to Jesus. Not for the first time, but for the hundredth time, for the thousandth time, for the millionth time. Come to Jesus. Do you know what I love, right? The metaphor drink, right? We don't just drink once in life. We drink every day in life. Without drink, we can't live. We have to do it. The ongoing, habitual, perpetual activity of drinking. The same is true with believing. You don't just believe once in your life and then move on. You go on in life believing Jesus, trusting Jesus, taking him as he is. See, our problem is we sin, we run from Jesus. Jesus says, come back to me. Drink from me, believe in me. I've got grace for you. Got love for you. My spirit will come in you and work in you and transform you. And so if you're a Christian, the invitation as well is come. Come to the one who's full of grace and truth. Maybe some of you are Christian, you've been running, you've been hiding. But Jesus says, come to me. Now, time is really short, but there's a promise. There's a promise that comes with this invitation. Look at verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It says there, as the scriptures have said. So here's the question. Where in the scriptures did Jesus say this? And you know that's a trick question. You will not find that verse in the Old Testament. There is no verse in the Old Testament that says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, Jesus here is, is saying this verse, saying this statement and what he's doing is he's summarizing lots of verses in the old testament that promise that the messiah will be the one from whom the living waters from whom the spirit will come so you can read about it in isaiah 58 we we touched on it in isaiah 51 you can read about it in jewel 3 let me just quote from zechariah Zechariah 13, on that day there, will be, there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. 
Zechariah 14, verse 8. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern side, half of them to the western side. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And I could go on and on. Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 through 12. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies that in the last he will pour forth from himself streams of living water. Time is short, so I can't go into this, but there is a debate. See, see when the Bible was written, the New Testament at least, in Greek, punctuation wasn't there in the same way that we have punctuation. So if you got a text, right, and you looked at your phone, and it said, no comma, no full stop in it, just three words, let's eat mum, you might think, is that an invitation to cannibalism? Let's eat, mum. All you do is, let's eat, full stop, comma, mum. And you know that it's your mum saying, let's eat right now. The problem in in this passage is, and if you've got a Bible, you could read the footnote, is that out of who will the rivers of living waters flow? And it's a bit ambiguous. It could mean out of Jesus, and surely it does mean that. He's the only one. He is the rock. He is the new temple. But it could mean out of the believer, rivers of living water will flow. And loads of the theologians get hung up and say, you need to go for either a Christological interpretation, only out of Jesus. And then the other side will say, it comes from Jesus, but the living waters, the Holy Spirit that comes from Christ flows into the believers. And so out of them flow living waters. Now, you can make your mind up for yourself which one you want to take, but just remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman when he was speaking to her. He said, the water that I will give you will spring up in you a well welling to eternal life. So here's the most incredible promise you've ever heard. Jesus is the fountain of living waters, literally the, the one from whom the Spirit will come to his people. When the Spirit comes in you and me on belief, on coming to Him, He comes to our hearts, the deepest part of who we are. And He causes life to flow. You know, one of the reasons why the picture of water was so powerful for the first century Jews, they lived for most of the year in a parched land. And see, when you have the rainy season, what immediately happens is desert parched land can become, in, in, in just a matter of weeks, budding with green shoots and life and pastures. And, and, and here's the reality. When God pours his spirit into his people, life comes, new life. But the purpose is that these, the, the spirit who flows into us from Jesus as we receive from him it ought also to flow out from us. That is, we have to be channels, conduits of God's blessing. And that's a whole theme in Scripture. We are blessed by God in order to be a blessing to others. And so here's the, the, the application of this. If you come to Jesus and you drink, if you come to Jesus and receive salvation, he comes into you. He changes you from within by His Spirit, renews you, gives you new desires, new affections, causes you to walk in His ways. And His purpose 
is that this may flow to others. That this may cause the glory of God to cover the earth as the seas cover, the waters cover the seas. And so, what a glorious promise. Come to Jesus, have your thirst quenched, and then through Jesus be made new and be used to live and make him known. You know, if the, if the Jewish rabbi said, you've never experienced true joy until you've enjoyed this feast, let me say, you've never, ever experienced joy until you've drunk from the fountain of living waters. Go be a conduit of the joy of Christ as his spirit works in you as you've come to him. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, how we are stunned, staggered that, that you would issue forth this invitation to all of us here this morning. For those of us who are Christians, thank you for calling us to come back to you. We confess, Jesus, that so often we, we drink from the broken cisterns because we are prone to wander. We are prone to leave you, the God that we love. And so we pray that you would do, as it says in the psalm, that you would restore our souls again that you would anoint our head with oil, as it were, that you would cause our cup to overflow. And Lord Jesus, we pray for those who have never come to you, that this morning they would admit that they are spiritually thirsty, that they are spiritually bankrupt, and that you and you alone are the only one who has what they are truly looking for. Would they come to you and be known and loved and accepted, but would you not leave them as they are, but would you work in them and make them a blessing to your people and to this world. We pray this all in your precious and powerful name. Amen.